Toward the end of his life here on earth, in the 16th chapter of John, we find Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says to them, You believe at last, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And then in chapter 17, we find the prayer that Jesus prays after he has said those words to his disciples. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, 
I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The words of Jesus. Just for a moment, um, what word did you hear when that was read? What word jumped out at you? Just, just say some of the words that you... Unity. unity. What's, what's some other word you heard? What? Glory. What else did you hear? Unity. Glory. What else did you hear? What? Sanctify. Sanctify. Yeah, okay. What? Father. Father. Good. What? Complete. Complete. It's joyfully complete. Yes. This is a this is a reading that uh, we are familiar with, perhaps, but it, it's it's a reading that always elicits um, response, sort of based on where you've been lately, what you've been through lately. And it's striking when you hear the, the voice of Jesus praying a prayer that you always need to hear. It's, it's an amazing prayer because it seems like a prayer that you always need to hear. And so we hear it this morning. I thank Miss Ann for reading in such an appropriate way. We've been with Jesus in the upper room for several weeks. And we have stopped for a while each week. And and what was just an evening meal and a few hours together for us has been longer. But it's important to hear this kind of the last testament of Jesus before he goes to the cross. Because in a way we get to hear what is really important to him. And now these are his very last words that 
This morning, when Ann and I were talking, she, she made the point, I thought it was so good, that, that Jesus, this is, this is Miss Ann preaching to me this morning, helping me out. Uh, she said that, that, that we hear a lot of times where Jesus went off by himself to pray. But this prayer, he wanted the disciples to hear. He wanted the apostles to hear this prayer. He wasn't going to go away somewhere and pray this prayer. He was going to pray this prayer in their presence. He was going to pray this prayer so they, they would know what he was saying to the Father and what he was praying for them. I think that's significant. I thank Miss Ann for that and the Lord speaking to you this morning. We are challenged to be a body of Christians who live as a church in a way that is consistent with the, the spirit of Jesus. And one of the, the things that we have known down through history is that there has always been a temptation in churches always from, from the earliest days, from the, the days of the, the councils in the fourth century, there's always been a temptation to play human games and to have human rivalries and human divisions and human angers and human isolations and, and, and attacks uh, using the, the biblical material, the New Testament material, using the very life of Jesus as the, the, the source material for those kinds of battles. So that what has issued out of the message of Christ has always been, been threatened to turn into this ugly, cacophonous mess of religion. So that when people, uh, you ask them about the Christian faith, they, sometimes they don't care much about the Christian faith. They love Jesus. I don't, know, I don't know anybody that doesn't love Jesus, but, I, but I, I run into people who don't think much of Christians. And that's because that we, we are always being tempted by the evil one to move out of alignment with Jesus. And when, and when Christians are no longer aligned to the message and the person of Jesus, then what comes out of that as religion is... Um, not very helpful sometimes. So as we think of ourselves at this place, at this moment in time, our, our greatest joy and our greatest calling is to be a body of Jesus folks who are leaning into the, the words of Jesus in John 17 and committing ourselves to be this people for the sake of the world and to the glory of God. Why wouldn't we want to be people who are the living answer to the prayer of Jesus? I think we would want to be that. And, and we can be that. And, and the Holy Spirit is working with all of the garbage that's in us to try to purify us and sanctify us so that the living sacrifice that we are is more and more aligned with and consistent with the life of Jesus. So we hear that and we rest in that. 
And we, and we feel that call that comes from Jesus because Jesus has lived his life trying to be consistent with the Father. And that, that he believes that his life of consistent glorifying of the Father will lead his disciples to also glorify him and the Father. Isn't that, isn't that interesting in a way when you, when you hear that? The hours come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. You granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you've given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This, this opening paragraph of the prayer that, that talks about the glory is an invitation for us to, to see a bit of the, the relationship between the Father and the Son but it's also important for us to hear that we've been invited into that conversation. We've been invited into that behavior. And when you think of the word glory, this is a, this is a glory, the word that has the notion of light, of shining. That, that when Moses was in the presence of God, when he came out, his face was shining because he had been in the, in the presence of the glory of God. And that, that was reflecting out of him. And when you are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we are being moved, transformed from one level of glory to the next so that we may be the very reflection of Jesus. We're, we're living to the glory of God. We, that sounds like a really churchy word, but just think of it. That Jesus is praying that in the very same way that he has been the reflection of the glory of God, his disciples might be the very reflection and the shining out of the, of the radiance of Jesus. So that this is never about us in the life of the church. It's never about us. It's always about God. It's always about the Father. It's always about the Son. And it's always a light that is empowered by the presence of the Spirit in us. Leading us, changing us from one level of glory to the next. And everything that you see in the people around you that reminds you of Jesus is a participation in the glory. When you are, are struck by the, someone's kindness, when you are struck by some, some sister like Holly that comes and greets you when you walk through the door, that, that uh, you are in the presence of the glory. presence of the glory, not, not, not my glory or your glory, but in the presence of the glory of God. In that second section, as Jesus prays for the disciples, we, we hear that this is an unprotected, by any externals, it is, a, it is an unself-protected body of disciples. I'll clean that up. You would think that Jesus might say, these, these disciples I've got, these apostles I've got, are really great guys. 
And they've been with me for so long that now they are going to lead charmed lives. They're going to leave charmed lives of isolation. In fact, I'm sending them back to Mount Sinai. All of the people who follow God sincerely end up finally back at Mount Sinai. Moses was there and Elijah was there. And so it's time for some people to go back there. We'll, we'll have the monastery of the marvelous apostles. It'd be great. And if anybody wants to go see him, they can maybe go there, make an appointment. I'd like to have an hour with Bartholomew. Nobody ever signs up for Bartholomew. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. The ones who are most called are the ones who are made most vulnerable. He says, um, you sent me into the world. Um, you sent me into the world. They're in the world. Father, I'm hoping you'll protect them by the power of your name. And, and while I was with them, I protected them. But, but the fact is, Lord, I'm coming to you now. And my prayer, verse 15, is not that you'll take them out of the world, but that you'll protect them in the world. Verse 18, and just as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. We read this, you know this. This is every time you go to John 17, this is what somebody says. There's a reason for that. The tendency for us, and by us I mean everybody who's been a Christian for 2,000 years. The, te the temptation that the devil gives us is the temptation of withdrawal and disengagement. That somehow in the devotional life, somehow in the transformative life, somehow we can be tempted either to go away into a private holiness or tempted to go away into a public worldliness. But, the, but the, the Satan always wants to tempt us away from a, a balanced life of inner growth and public engagement with the world for the sake of Jesus. And this middle sweet spot is what Jesus says he is doing to his apostles. In the very way that you sent me into the world, Lord, I am sending them into the world. Protect them by your word, sanctify them by your truth. Yes, all of that's good. So that will be going on outside of them and inside of them. But they're still going to show up in the world. They're going to show up in the world. And the world is going to look at them and the world is going to go, eh. Or the world will go, I really like them. Maybe the people, the smart people like in Athens, three or four of them become Christians. Maybe you go down to Sin City in Corinth and Jesus says, I got lots of people in Sin City. You, you stay here, Paul, for a long time. I'll send you into the world. And so as we think about ourselves as a church in this place, we are not in a protected place. There is no moat around our building. Every place around us is is. A point of contact and entry if we hear what Jesus is doing for us. 
the, the conversations that we're tempted to have are the conversations that say, isn't the world horrible? Aren't we afraid of the world? Shouldn't we figure out ways to disengage from the world? This is, this is, a, place, this is a church. This is a place to hide from all of that. I don't like the way they talk. I don't like the way they, 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 they play. I don't like the way they love. I don't like the way... And I, I am going to figure out a way to make a cocoon. A cocoon to hide away from that. But if you do that, remember, a cocoon is only of value if it turns you into something even more transformative for the glory of the world around you. If you go into your cocoon and you don't change in transformation, then you have just died and rotted in your own silk. So we are meant for transformation and engagement. We hear that. And in everything that we do in our present future church is leaning into the way that God might choose for us to engage our world in the name of Jesus. And the last little section is where Jesus says, you know, if they can be unified like we're unified, Father, then the world will know that when you sent me in the world, you did something significant. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. People, some people really love Christian evidences. They like to go dig up a rock and go, this rock proves that there was an ark. Good enough. I've got biblical archaeology books in my library. Some of them are now artifacts themselves. And, I, and many of us have been to the place where they said, this is Abraham's well at Beersheba. This is it. Uh, this, this is Solomon's stable at Megiddo. And... The thing you you can't figure out is why he built the palace downwind from the stable. May have been wise in many ways, but no meteorologist. That you can go and you can walk into the synagogue at Capernaum and see the black line where the archaeologists say, below this black line is where the stones from the synagogue that would have been here in the first century are. All that's great. To walk on the Temple Mount and see the, the squares of, of foundation stones from Solomon's Temple. Well, that's fine. But that's not the evidence that God was in Christ and Christ was in God and the Father and the Son are now in us. 
You don't dig up that evidence. You experience the unity of Christians together by the spirit and the wonder and the presence of God. And when you see Christians together in love and unity, then you are in the presence of the evidence that God sent Jesus into the world. Some people want a a piece of the cross, a bit of wood or maybe a fleck of a nail. But what is more important are people who have been through the cross and been raised in Jesus forgiven and infused with the Spirit and are now living in peace and and joy and wonder and unity and have become a monument, a pillar of testimony to the reality of God in Christ. So this church that we are on this corner lives to be a continuing, loud, precious evidence that Jesus came into the world. And when he came into the world, the Father was in him, and he was in the Father, and the Father and the Son are now in us. And that radiates by the power of the Spirit into the world. This is what Jesus prayed for. This is what we live to see made real in this place. That we would be people who would live to the praise and the glory of God, would shine with his radiance. That we would be people who would boldly engage the world, not accusing it, but loving it and drawing it near in the love of God. And that we would live as best we can as continual evidences of the reality of the incarnation because the God that came flesh in Jesus is continuing to become flesh in us. And our unity is the seal. This is prayer of Jesus.